We are going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew. We are going to be at the beginning of chapter 20, but in order to provide some context for chapter 20, let's do a lightning fast recap of chapter 19. So at the beginning of chapter 19, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Uh, Okay, so the assumption here is that he is now crossed over. He's about to head south. He's going to bypass Samaria this time around, something we know he doesn't always do because it is quicker to go through Samaria. But the the more religious uh, folk don't particularly like Samaria and there is bandits and people that might accost them. Most people make it too much of a big deal about Jesus bypassing Samaria because when he meets the woman at the well, they're trying to make that into a really radical thing. The reality is is that they would often most normally have gone through Samaria because it's way faster. Yeah, all the commentaries that you've read are racist. Uh, They're just xenophobic and they're making that out to be a bigger deal than it is. They almost certainly went through Samaria most of the time because it was way quicker just think about it. If, if you were walking from Galilee to Jerusalem, would you spend an extra day walking just because you didn't want to go near the other side of town? Of course not. And so at times, presumably in this time, they crossed over and were heading south and then they'd hit Jericho kind of area and then cross back to the west into Jerusalem. So he's on his way down in what would be modern day Jordan. And it says, this is verse 219. This is meant to be a quick reading. We're going to be here all morning if we keep this up. Okay, so verse 2, large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Verse 3, some Pharisees came to test him. Uh, They were testing him with a trick question about divorce. Uh, So now that's kind of setting our scene a little bit. We know he's left Galilee. He's on his way south. We know that he is being followed by large crowds who he's continuing to heal. Uh, and that there are some Pharisees who dislike him following along, trying to trick him into saying something that will allow them to get him into more trouble. Uh, then we keep going a little bit. The disciples uh, start telling parents to stop bringing their children to Jesus. Jesus is like, no, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. The kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So the Pharisees have put their foot in it. And Jesus is saying kids are pretty great. And then he has his interaction with the rich young ruler, a story that I suspect most of us have heard where a rich bloke turns up and Jesus is like, if you truly want to be um, all that you can be, sell everything you've got and come follow me. Uh, Which is, you know, like, and then he's gutted by that because he's got heaps of money and he doesn't want to sell everything he has. Uh, And then Jesus explains to his disciples just how hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven which is a convenient part of that passage that we often overlook. Uh, or if we overlook it, we, we pretend that we are not that wealthy. But the reality is, is that when we read the Rich Young Ruler story, we identify uh, in a, our social economic demographic uh, very much more with the Rich Young Ruler than with any of the other characters there. Anyway, after that, Jesus says, it's hard for rich people to get into heaven. And then Peter, now we're in verse 27 of Matthew 19. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What will, uh, what then will there be for us? Peter's thinking, yeah, we did what you just told the rich young ruler to do. Oh yeah, we're going to get 
totally um, rewarded for this. And Jesus says to them, verse 28, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So my guess is the disciples heard this particular uh, little teaching by Jesus and thought, absolute ripper. We are totally going to be loaded in heaven. We are going to get a hundredfold. We are going to inherit. We are going to get all the good stuff because we, unlike that rotten rascal, rich young ruler who just walked away feeling sad about it, we have given up everything and we have put down our, our nets and our families and our livelihood and we are following Jesus. We are the best in the world. And then Jesus throws in this weird line, for many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And I suspect they're thinking, yeah, we were the last and now we'll get to be the first. Because in our own story, we are always the hero. We always justify our own actions and there's no chance the disciples didn't hear this and think that they were the good guys. And now we're at Matthew 20, which is where our passage is from. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Uh, for the sake of, of brevity, I will explain the bits of this as we go along instead of reading the whole thing first. Uh, so a denarius, most people would say, well, the denarius was a full day's labor. That's what you got paid. Uh, the reality is, though, these workers, these workers are destitute people. Uh, and working in a vineyard is seasonal work generally. Uh, so they are the lowest caste of people in society. They are working as day laborers. Uh, and most of the research tells us that these day laborers, at best, by the time they got to that status in society, they had maybe five to seven years before they just simply died of malnutrition and poverty. This is not a, uh, a rich group of people. There is no chance that these day laborers are supporting a family on one denarius a day. It's likely this isn't a silver denarius, a, a Roman denarius. There's probably some other local currency denarius, which is not worth as much. This is not a lot of money. Uh, also, the landowner here, it's interesting because to be a landowner put him in the aristocracy. He was rich. He was wealthy. Uh, and to have a vineyard was a luxury crop. So normal subsistence farmers would be growing things they can eat so they don't die. Whereas to grow a vineyard, you need to plant it and then it's like four or five full years before you will bear enough fruit in order to uh, harvest that crop. So vineyard was a luxury crop that only a rich uh, landlord could grow because they had other holdings that would be able to feed them and sustain them whilst they were waiting for that to happen. About nine in the morning, he went out. This is the, the landowner. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the, uh, in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. So now he's gone out and he can see that there are more people who are not working. And he says, you should go. And he doesn't negotiate with this lot. 
The first lot, they negotiated a day's labor at one denarius, which is important later in the story. And these guys, he's met them at, at midday and he just says, you go and work and I'll pay you what's right. I will do what is just by you. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon. He keeps going out, this bloke. And he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And they said, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, what would happen is if you were uh, hiring people to do work on your vineyard because you are a wealthy landowner. Now, first of all, to become a wealthy landowner, I'm going to tell you two stories here, by the way. I'm going to tell you the details of how we can interpret this story to be a... Um, uh, the way that uh, Herzog, William Herzog defines it is a pedagogue of the poor. So Jesus is a teacher of the poor. So he's trying to raise up the poor to realize that they are being treated badly by the oppressive class above them. Uh, I don't actually think that's... I love Herzog's teaching and I love his subversive interpretation of parables. I don't think it works here. But I do think the stuff about first century culture is interesting. So I'm going to tell you that as well and then probably stick to a more traditional interpretation. So the landowner, the only way that he can own enough land to grow vineyards uh, is for him to be super wealthy. And normally you become super wealthy by lending money to poor people. And when they can't pay it back, you take their land. Uh, so this is not good. People hate the landowners here, just like we would hate banks who... You know, you can't, uh, they foreclose on your house and they take your property and then you end up impoverished having to pay them rent forever uh, and they take your land. Well, this landowner likely has foreclosed on a whole bunch of other poor people who are now working as day laborers because they couldn't meet their debts. Um, so it is very, very possible that the people hearing this parable heard this parable and thought the landowner is a villain. He has taken all the land and now he is paying people. Um, barely enough so that they can survive. Now, when you go to hire people in the morning, what type of people do you think get hired first? The strong ones, the fit ones, the healthy looking ones, the ones with big muscles. So the first thing in the morning, all of the really like prime uh, servant hands get hired. And as the day goes on, what type of people do you think are left sitting there at five in the afternoon saying, no one wants to hire me? Yeah, the people who are disabled, the people who are old, the people who are malnourished, the people who are sick, the people... By the time we get to the late afternoon, this guy is hiring people who are not fit for work at all. And he's just saying, you go to my farm and, and, uh, and we'll figure it out later. The last mob don't negotiate at all. They just, he just says, go and go and be in the vineyard. And then when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, another indication that this guy's filthy rich, because he has other servants that can go and do stuff for him. So in normally in this type of society, uh, and this is kind of true today as well, you would never see the guy, the CEO. You never see the landowner. You would normally only see the foreman. You would just see his employees, especially if he's getting his employees to do kind of uh, not nice things. The, the, the CEO wants to be separate from that. He doesn't want to be seen as being uh, the bad guy. So he sends his foreman to do the bad guy work. 
Uh, so he says, the owner of the vineyard says to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first, which is an injustice in itself. The people who worked the longest and hardest should probably get paid first. Uh, but, but we're going to see the twist in the story here. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This translation uh, where we in the English say, are you envious um, because I am generous? I actually think it's, it's way cooler in the Greek. Uh, it says, oth, uh, what is it? Ophthalmos suponeros. Ophthalmos is where we get ophthalmology. So it's your eye. It's saying, why are you giving me an evil eye? Why are you giving me a dirty look? Yeah, why are you giving me the stink eye? Um, whilst I was preparing this, uh, I was reading through this in the Greek yesterday. Ari was cranky with me and she was giving me a stink eye and I was laughing and she was really angry. And I was laughing because, because this is talking about someone getting given the stink eye. Um, and I thought that was hilarious. Uh, so uh, why are you giving me the stink eye? Why are you so jealous? Why are you envious? Is it because I am generous? And the word generous there is just good. The landowner is saying, I am good. I am just. How dare you look at me like I am being in, uh, not being just in my transaction because I am choosing to be generous. Now, in history, uh, to the interpretation of this passage has almost, almost universally been allegorical. Uh, and the landowner is God in that allegory or metaphor and then uh, different groups of people. Either it's the the Jews were the, the people who worked all day and the Gentiles snuck in at the last and the Jews were cranky because the Gentiles are not God's real people. Or it could be that the disciples were there working all day and now the Gentiles are, or the, the new converts are coming in at the last minute and that seems unfair. Or, um, or some people say that there are the people who are in because they are more righteous or they have followed Jesus. And then there's the, the dirty sinners that Jesus keeps hanging out with. They're like the people who joined at the last minute. The, um, the prostitutes and tax collectors and, and lower class um, peasantry that Jesus hangs out with have just snuck in across the line. Uh, so that's how it's allegorically interpreted. Uh, like I said before, uh, William Herzog, uh, who I quite like, his interpretation on some of the parables is, is magnificent, but his kind of agenda is to say this is a subversive attack on the wealthy and the rich oppressive class and that it's Jesus is trying to say to the poor, you are being ripped off by this rotten merchant, and this is completely unjust. And when the merchant's saying, friend, I, you agreed to this, the word friend is actually sarcasm, uh, and it's patronizing, and he interprets this whole parable as being uh, Jesus attacking the rich. 
And there are a few people uh, in, in more modern history who see it that way, but I think it kind of falls flat in the context and I just don't think it works. Um, but it is an interesting reading of it nonetheless. More likely though, uh, it just means what it sounds like. There's people who think things aren't fair. Um, there's, there's a number of parents in the room. Uh, I suspect that we're all very familiar with that's not fair, uh, especially from youngest children who don't realise that they have only been working the last hour of the day. The first child is the one who worked hard to wear their parents down. And the last child comes along and can watch whatever they want, has plenty of screen time, gets chocolate and Coke and stays up late. The last child didn't do any of the work and they're getting all the rewards and they still think it's not fair. What a grave injustice is going on in every family. And that sense of injustice, I think, is something that we can easily understand. When we see people who are supported or rewarded or honoured or promoted, despite what we perceive to be less work than us, we feel ripped off. In fact, there are some in Christendom, if this wasn't so clear, if this wasn't so clear, I think that a lot of people would say, let's just chop that bit out of the Bible uh, because it sounds like a socialist Marxist agenda. Um, you know, this is, this is rubbish. You, get, you tighten your bootstraps. Uh, you need to work hard to get what you, you know, to, uh, and if you don't work hard, you should just suffer with the consequence because you're lazy. But this landowner, he takes the people who haven't worked all day and he gives them enough. He gives them the same as what he gave the people who tightened their bootstraps and worked hard. What is this, you know, this redistribution of wealth? Uh, it's it's a, um, a liberal agenda. In many ways, this story actually uh, reflects the prodigal son story, where the prodigal leaves and lives a wild life of excess and spends all the money that um, that they have extorted through the you know out of guilt out of the uh, out of the father, and then the the youngest then has its, this moment of of realization and comes home, and instead of being chastised, instead of being um, told, "Well, you suffer, you will be a servant in my house," instead of being treated the way that the older brother wants the younger to be treated. The father embraces the younger. The father says, I, I know you haven't been here working hard like the older, but I'm still going to celebrate. I'm still going to put a, a shoes, shoes on your feet and a robe on and a ring on and, and we're going to kill the fattened calf and chuck a party. And the older um, uh, sibling says, well, I've been here working every day faithfully. Where's my party? The workers feel ripped off because they worked all day and then these these others who have just arrived in the afternoon are getting paid the same. And then they rage against the kindness or the prodigal story, the forgiveness, the landowner's generosity. They rage against it because they think that they deserve more. than. And I think we do that too. We think we have worked harder and we are more righteous somehow and we create a standard defined by our uh, achievements and anything less than what we have achieved is unacceptable and anything more is unachievable. So we become the model for what is righteous and good and we put ourselves in the position of the Pharisees who were listening to this story as well. Where we can create a world where we are always the ones who've worked all day and that everybody else are the ones who have come in at the, come in at the last minute and through some injustice have been rewarded the same. And we miss the fact that we are indeed the ones who jumped in at the last second 
We are unworthy of the graciousness and the kindness and the goodness that we have received, yet we still receive it. These workers were so convinced that the landowner had behaved in an unfair way that they began to question the landowner's goodness altogether. And they started to see his generosity as being an injustice. What a messed up way to see God. And in the same way, there are, there are some uh, within Christendom who look at the forgiveness of sinners, who look at the forgiveness of debt, who look at the support of the poor and the underprivileged, who look at the welfare that we pro- can, can provide through our great privilege and riches, and they say, well, it's not just. People just get what they deserve. Not realizing that we have not gotten what we truly deserve at all. This landowner kept going back to the Agora, to the marketplace, to seek more workers because the landowner, like God, desires that all people would come and be working in his kingdom. The landowner hired the fresh workers and then later on he petitions those who didn't get hired the first time around and later on he keeps petitioning until the very last he is he's just saying, quick, go to my farm, go, go, go. Don't worry about the details, I will Do what is right by you. There are some who uh, allegorically interpret those last as having faith in the landowner's goodness to provide them uh, a fair pay because they don't negotiate at all. They just go. What I think Jesus is uh, also trying to hint here is that we need to recognize that working in the field, working in the kingdom of God, that that is not a burden, that that is a joy. Serving our good father's agenda is a joy, not a burden. The work of justice and service are beautiful and we are blessed to hear the invitation at the beginning of the day rather than the end. Before God, we are equally valuable regardless of our ability to work or earn our place. And what a relief. I, for one, am incredibly glad that I receive God's kindness and generosity and that that is what defines my relationship with him rather than getting what I deserve, which I suspect wouldn't be as good. This parable shows us that the landowner can be both just and also generous and that we should not see his generosity as some kind of injustice. This is a story about a landowner who pays the bill for everyone, not just those who've worked hard. Brian Zahn says this, the kingdom of heaven is not a meritocracy. The kingdom of heaven is an economy of grace. And the vineyard owner, who obviously represents God, was more interested in giving people what they needed than giving them what they deserved. And he was willing to do so at his own expense. The Old Testament lectionary passage for this week is in Exodus and Exodus 16, and I'll just, I'll read you a couple verses so you can get an idea of what that covered. Uh, It was when the desert community of Israel, uh, as they were wandering, they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, and they uh, basically said, we should have died uh, in Egypt. When we were in Egypt, we had plenty of food. This is rubbish. Have you taken us out here to starve to death? And then the Lord said to Moses, this is Exodus 16, 4, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people had to go out each day and gather enough for that day. 
You see, in this passage, it shows us how God was willing to provide Israel enough for the day. And in this story with the landowner, he's not giving them a million dollars so that they never work again. He's just giving them enough for the day. Because he always has enough for our day. Give us this day our daily bread. And it's our daily bread. The problem is with a lot of people, when they think about this, saying, give us this day my daily bread. Give me what I deserve, what I have earned, what I have coming to me. Instead of realizing it's give us this day our daily bread. The manna from heaven provided for the entire community. And some gathered more and they didn't have too much. And some gathered less and they didn't have not enough. There was just enough for all. And thus it is in this kingdom where we serve and sacrifice and care for one another, there is enough for all. Even those who arrive midday and those who arrive late in the afternoon, there is enough for all in this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a place where people have their needs met regardless of when they arrived and regardless of how much they can contribute, where all people are treated with dignity and value and where we have the privilege of serving in God's garden and joyfully laboring under the sun for the work of justice and kindness. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not grumble, but we would gratefully and joyously receive uh, what you have offered us, that we would accept the invitation to work and toil and labor uh, hard in your garden, and that we would celebrate any time a new worker joins in the harvest. And we thank you that you give us what we need instead of what we deserve, that you give us your love and your kindness and your compassion and your mercy. And I pray that we then would toil and work uh, so that others may experience that and that we would all have enough. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.